Hi there, and welcome back to the Live Moss Podcast. On today's podcast, we're reuniting with an old friend, Dr. Kaylee McCauley of Lewis and Clark College. I was extremely fortunate to be invited to be a guest speaker to her Foundations of Higher Education and Student Affairs class. It's an incredible conversation with some great students uh, and a wonderful opportunity to just connect, uh, share life experiences, and provide some feedback through question and answers. I hope you enjoyed today's session, and as always, if I can do anything for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find me on social media, at Wes D. Moss. Uh, my email address, wmoss, M-A-A-S, at fiu.edu, or by my cell phone at 307-223-6429. I hope you're having a great day wherever you are listening to this, and as always, live Moss. Uh, thank you guys so much for having me uh, today. I really uh, appreciate your time, and more than anything, I love visiting with students. Uh, whenever I get a chance to to speak on campus or in a classroom setting, it uh, uh, it's um, it brings me back to when I was in college. It was just a lot of fun for me. Uh, I do think it's important uh, for me to prioritize your time, uh, so I will save some time here uh, for question and answers at the end because I think that's where you're going to get the most return on investment. Uh, as if you're able to uh, ask questions and I might be able to answer uh, whether here today, and I know um, Dr. McCauley provided my contact information, please don't hesitate to reach out to me at any time, uh, whether after this session, you know, throughout your career there, uh, I'd be more than happy to help in any way that I can. Uh, so Dr. McCauley asked me to share a little bit about my professional journey, uh, as well as some of the knowledge that I might have picked up along the way. Uh, but before I do that, I think it's important that I provide a little bit of context uh, for you on my background. Uh, so how I got into this field uh, and maybe a little bit more about me uh, on a, uh, a collegiate level. Um, so I've been in higher education now for 18 years. Uh, 14 of those years uh, uh, focused specifically on student athlete support and development. Uh, it's not been until the last four years in my role uh, as an assistant vice president uh, where I've kind of been immersed more into the student side or the academic affairs side of student development and student support. Uh, so in the past four years, my focus has broadened significantly uh, to try and scale some of the support that we provide to our student athletes, to our students on campus here at FIU. Uh, I was a student athlete in high school uh, who attended college on an athletic scholarship, um, first generation uh, from a low to working class family. Uh, completely unprepared as I entered the college setting, uh, and I was very fortunate to have an academic advisor who really looked out for me. Uh, his name is Dr. Fred Green. He's actually currently the faculty athletic rep at Troy University in Troy, Alabama. Uh, so if you happen to ever be in that area, uh, stop in and say hi to Dr. Fred Green. Um, but it was Fred Green who was critical um, in the creation of my program philosophy moving forward. Uh, obviously, I didn't know that uh, back in 2000, um, but it was something to where a lot of what he did, I still do today. Um, I've worked for seven Division I universities, uh, both public and private. Uh, I created the first ever athletic academic support program for the University of North Florida as they transitioned from Division II to Division I. Uh, and the programs that uh, I've been fortunate to work for, uh, specifically UNF, Wyoming, uh, the University of Arizona, and now Florida International University, uh, we've been fortunate to post the highest GPA in the history of those programs uh, for the student-athlete population based on our approach to academic support. Uh, the success of our programs have been built based uh, on a foundation of culture and values, uh, some of which I would like to share with you guys today. Uh, but getting started on my professional journey, so how did I get here? Uh, my undergraduate degree is in sport management. Uh, I have a master's degree in sport administration from Florida State. 
but it wasn't until I started at Florida State where this journey for me really began. Uh, as a um, master's degree seeking student, uh, I actually for the first time in my life had free time. Uh, so as a student athlete, all my time was predicated and uh, set up for me. So I didn't have uh, the opportunity to really set my own schedule. It was uh, mainly set for me. So it wasn't until I got into my master's degree program where I actually had uh, the ability to set my own schedule. And so for the first time, I uh, had some free time. And so I wanted to make the most of it while I was at the uh, at Florida State University. Um, so unfortunately, uh, someone uh, introduced me to a good friend of theirs. And basically, as I wanted to volunteer my time at the athletic uh, department there at Florida State, uh, kind of got lumped into, hey, you're a big guy, you played football, uh, why don't you go work in the weight room? That's where we can get the most use out of you. Um, and so without really having any direction, I was pointed that way, so that's the way I went. This is kind of the first time in my career outside of Dr. Fred Green where I had somebody that actually stopped and took the time uh, to get to know me a little bit before you know me continuing down my path. So when I went and met with the strength coach at Florida State, um, he wanted to know more about me before bringing me into his program. He wanted to know about my goals and my ambitions. Uh, he wanted to know about my backstory. And the more we got to talking, you know, he basically said, if you, if you think strength training is the area that you want to go into, I'd gladly help you. We have a position that you can fill, but it doesn't sound like this is where you need to be uh, with your story, with what you've been able to do academically. Um, he pointed me in the direction of the athletic academic support unit there at Florida State and a guy named Mark Mullaney. Uh, and so he helped me understand that there were different opportunities available to master's degree seeking students in higher education and uh, in athletics, not just strength training or athletic training, which was, you know, back in 2000, kind of the emphasis at the time. Uh, so I was fortunate that uh, by going and meeting with Mark Mullaney, um, I really started to find my passion in working with student athletes. Uh, my first full time job was uh, working as a football advisor for the University of Alabama. Uh, and it wasn't uh, too long that I was there. I was there about three years where I started having uh, goal setting sessions for myself to determine where I wanted to be in five years, where I wanted to be in 10 years, 15 years. Um, and it happened to be in an N4A uh, National Association meeting where I walked into a ballroom um, and I was trying to network and meet with people. And I noticed about for the, for the first time, uh, I was being branded. I, I was kind of been given an identity in our field. Uh, and that identity was he's the football guy at the University of Alabama. And so I go into this room and I'm meeting all these different people from different universities, from different backgrounds. And it basically became, this is the football guy at Syracuse. Uh, this is the football girl at USC. This is the football guy at Alabama. Um, and, I, and I sat down that night and just realized uh, the goals that I had, the ambitions that I had in this field, I was going to have to break that mold uh, and break that brand in order to find the opportunities for um, growth uh, and not just be the football guy. Uh, so I ended up leaving the University of Alabama uh, to move to uh, Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, mainly based on the foundation that I'd be allowed to work with different teams, uh, not just football. I could pick up different uh, programs so that I could show growth in that area, uh, as well as I could run the tutoring program so that I had the ability to, to run budgets and supervise the staff. Uh, and based on my mentors at the time, uh, it was relayed to me that it was extremely important in your growth professionally that you show the ability to uh, be able to supervise a working budget, that you show the ability to hire, fire, train, uh, but you know, monitor staff members. And so 
Uh, that helped me get my first leadership role, uh, like I said, at the University of North Florida in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, they were transitioning at the time from Division Two to Division One, So I'd been in the field for about five and a half years at that time. I was a collegiate athlete. Uh, I saw the support that was being provided to student athletes, and I, and I just felt that there were some things that I would do differently if I ever got into a position of leadership. Uh, I had made some suggestions in my coordinating career at Alabama and at Bandy, but as I'm sure as you can assume, programs that are as established as the SEC, as Vanderbilt University, as the University of Alabama, uh, they weren't really open to change or to review policies and, and make uh, you know uh, radical changes to the support being provided because it was working for them and it was efficient. But I had some ideas for myself that I thought if I ever was in a leadership position, if I had the opportunity, I would change some of the ways that we work with our student athletes. And so given the position where UNF was transitioning from Division Two to Division One, uh, I got to go into a blank canvas. They didn't have an athletic academic support program. So I got to create their program from scratch. And so I was able to put my vision for academic support in. Uh, and I was extremely fortunate that uh, my vision and my model just happened to work pretty well. Uh, during my time at UNF, um, like all good things, it came to an end uh, because there was an opportunity for, move, uh, for me and my family to move to take a role at, at the University of Wyoming, running their athletic academic support program, uh, which carried on to an opportunity at the University of Arizona uh, and then now at Florida International University. So that's kind of my career path uh, from the, the collegiate ranks um, until now, uh, 18 years in higher education. Uh, and again, now branching out a little differently uh, from where I thought I would be 10 years ago uh, to an emphasis not only on uh, being the director of the Student Athlete Academic Center, uh, but being the assistant vice president for undergraduate education and trying to scale some of our programming to campus. Um, along the way, I picked up on a couple of, uh, of values that I think might be of interest to you uh, and to where you're at uh, in your education and kind of moving forward. Uh, but obviously, each of us have a different story and a different path. Um, so some of these might be uh, relevant to you. Some of these might be important. Some of them might not be. Um, but there's a couple of things that I felt uh, that, that I could speak to. Uh, and then, you know, obviously, again, I, I want to make sure that I leave time to, for question and answers in case there's any uh, questions that you might have that I can provide my experiences for. So the first value or the first area of emphasis that I, I would love to touch on is this idea of communication. Um, for us at Florida International University, for our programming, for what we've uh, tried to accomplish, we firmly believe that communication is essential to our success. Um, no matter how good your programming is, uh, no matter how great uh, the program that you want to get into or the program you're currently in happens to be or where you want to be in your career moving forward, Communication is going to be essential in that process. More importantly, if you get into a field of working with students, student athletes, uh, general student pop, whatever you know, you're looking at getting into, communication has become critical to our success because of all the opportunities and all the things uh, that really hold our students' attention currently and how much we have to fight uh, to break down those walls to get to our students' attention. Uh, the, the simple concept of a cell phone and Wi-Fi uh, YouTube, Netflix, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, you know, Fortnite, whatever it is that our kids are doing now, you have to find a way in a coordinating role and an advisor role and an administrator role uh, to break down that wall to get their attention. So before you can do any of the great things that you want to do in your programming, uh, before you can roll out a new process or uh, talk to the board of trustees about the GPA that you just set or your record FGR, GSR, 
you've got to have their attention. So one of the things that we focus on uh, in our programming is how do we do that? How do we gain the attention of not only our staff, our peers, uh, our administrators, our coaches, uh, but just as importantly, how do we gain the attention of our students? Uh, so I'll spend a little bit of time on this piece because I think it's vitally important to what we do, uh, mainly because, like I said, if you don't have their attention, you know, everything else is kind of second. Uh, so one of the things that we look at with our, our process is we spend a lot of time getting to know our student athletes, uh, getting to know our staff on how they effectively communicate. Um, I do have a question for you. I'm curious uh, in terms of communication, how do you communicate? And more importantly, does your communication vary? And what I mean by that is, do you communicate differently with the people in the room right now than you communicate with your friends, than your peers, than your family members, than colleagues across the country? And what I mean by that is, do you use email as your main mode of communication? Is that what you rely on to get people's attention? Do you get the same response if you're reaching out to a friend for happy hour tonight if you tried by email as you would by text message? Do you go through your social media accounts and coordinate meetings or talk to your friends that way? Or do you rely strictly on text messaging, uh, WhatsApp, or other activities? One of the things that we focus on here is how do we communicate with our students? How can we effectively steal their attention in little pieces at a time to make sure that we can talk about our programming, talk to them about the things that are important right now, uh, and try and set them up for success. As we onboard our students into our program, one of the things that we do is we spend a lot of time with them in the beginning in the recruiting phase uh, during the onboarding to find out how they communicate. What are the modes of communication that they like, how they consume information, and how we can change our mindset to connect with them. I think it's important uh, that we evolve in this, proc in this process uh, because as we continue forward uh, in higher education, one of the things that we've spent a lot of time in our administration here at FIU looking at is how different the collegiate you know, the landscape's going to be 10 years from now than it is right now. When I graduated from college, when I got my master's degree, that was kind of the end, so, for say, of my education. I really didn't want to pursue a doctoral degree. But it always been taught to us that if you get a high school degree, you're going to college. You get a college degree, you can get your secondary degree. But once you do that, your education kind of stops. Like you've set yourself up for success moving forward. What we're telling students now is that you need to be a lifelong learner, that you need to come into the university with an open mind because five years from now, 45% of the jobs that are currently available won't exist anymore based on AI and bots and robots. Uh, this is a real thing now where our uh, scientists and, and uh, people that are out there creating content can point to 45% of the jobs that are currently available to our workforce will not exist in five years. And it's the students that are coming through the collegiate setting now that are looking at those jobs and need to be educated on the fact that lifelong learning is going to become extremely important. So we have to continue to evolve in how we communicate with our students so that we can continue to educate them on the opportunities that are available to them. One of the areas that we spend a lot of time on, and Dr. McCauley and I, we spent time together on this, is how do we not only engage with our students, but how do we engage with our membership within 4A? How do we engage with our students in our classes? And one of the things that we've done uh, is try to tackle social media, try and take advantage of free opportunities available to us. Uh, and at one point, we created a Twitter chat. And when we first started the Twitter chat, what we realized was there was just a, uh, a wealth of knowledge between 
she and I and some other people that were joining us that wanted to be a part of it. But more importantly, there, there was no other real entity out there doing it at the time. And so when we first started it, we were running a Twitter chat every week uh, for about an hour a week. And we had a great turnout and a great response. Well, what happened was, is we started flooding the, the market with content and we realized that we needed to slow down. We were running out of things to talk about. So what used to be once a week has now turned into once a month so that we can manage the expectation to be able to put out quality content to people. But one of the areas that I would encourage you to look into as you continue to grow in this field uh, is the difference between passive and interactive communication. But one of the areas that I would encourage you to look into as you continue to grow in this field uh, is the difference between passive and interactive communication. So who is your target market? What field are you trying to get into? Right now, if you're looking at getting into internships, if you're looking to get into opportunities for job and career placement, how are you connecting with the people that you're trying to look at as career development professionals? Who are you trying to get jobs with? Are you networking with them constantly through LinkedIn, um, through the different you know, career apps that are available to you, Portfolium? Um, we have a couple of different here on our campus. I don't know if they've made it out to the West Coast yet. Um, but there's a real big difference between passive and interactive communication. So obviously an interactive feature is something like a Twitter chat where you're interacting with people in real time talking about conversations, this conversation through Zoom. But there are different opportunities out there for you to consume information and to put information out uh, to really connect with your audience, whether that's through podcasting, um, through clips through YouTube or other different opportunities uh, to really engage with an audience and still keep that communication cycle live. Communication and attention whether it's with your staff, with the people you supervise, uh, with people that you're trying to get a job with, uh, and more importantly, once you get out into the field of higher education with your students is critical to the success of the programming that you're trying to establish. I, I would say the second thing that I would really want to impart upon you today is an idea of self-awareness. Uh, just a show of hands, how many of you feel like you're self-aware, that you really know who you are and where you, you know, which direction you're going? I don't need an answer to this. Maybe we can touch base offline, but I'm curious how you know that. Uh, from the standpoint of, uh, if you'd have asked me seven years ago if I was self-aware, I'd have told you damn straight. Like, I know exactly what I want to do. I know how I'm going to get there. I know who I am, what kind of a leader I am, uh, what people think of me. Um, and, and what I realized was I was wrong. I didn't have a really good handle on what uh, staff members thought of me. I didn't have a good handle on what the administration thought of our programming. I didn't have a good handle on what our student athletes were thinking. I was so concerned about change and progress and moving forward, uh, I stopped asking questions. Uh, I stopped getting evaluations and feedback and really digging into uh, the content that we have available to us in higher education and the data mining that we have access to. Uh, I stopped participating in N4A, uh, our National Organization for Student-Athlete Academic Support and Development, uh, because I felt like I really had a good handle on it. And it wasn't until one of my mentors uh, kind of just pulled me aside and said, you know, where are you going? And, you know, slow down. This isn't a race. And you need to have some patience in what you're trying to accomplish. So if you are self-aware, that's incredible. 
that it, that you have it, especially at this point in your career. Because I can guarantee you my second year in a master's degree program, my first year in a master's degree program, if you'd have asked me what if I thought I was self-aware, I don't think I could have answered that question. So you're, you're already far in advance ahead of me. Um, I would encourage you to really figure out what makes you happy. You know, in this field and these opportunities that we have with the, the facts that scientists are telling us that 45% of our jobs are going to disappear uh, due to automation and AI and bots, you know, what really makes you happy? You know, a lot of people think that that might be a certain position, it might be a certain salary, a uh, certain area of the country. Um, you know, it could be a, a role within a university doing research or whatever it might be. Um, but I would take the time now uh, that you have time to figure out what it is that makes you happy. Uh, and what I mean by that, early in my career, if you look at my track record, I was able to move pretty freely from role to role. Uh, I wasn't tied down with a lot of debt. I wasn't tied down with a house or with a family. And so it gave me the opportunity to try new things. It wasn't until uh, I had to convince my wife to move from Jacksonville, Florida to Laramie, Wyoming, which is 1,900 miles from sunny beaches uh, to a mountain range that had negative 48 degree weather, uh, that I faced some real adversity uh, and a test of self-awareness to, to really convince her that this was going to be a good move for us and our family. Um, but now you have the opportunity uh, to, to make some career jumps, to, to really uproot yourself and, and find yourself and move around, whether the country or the, the globe, and, and find what it is that makes you happy. Uh, if you don't have a mentor or two, uh, I would strongly encourage you to find one uh, because, like I said earlier, there's going to be times where you charge ahead and you're going to need someone to, to slow you down a little bit, uh, to check you on your self-awareness, to, uh, to be someone that you can lean on and ask questions because this climate in higher education changes so fast and there's so many things that are thrown at you that often you just need someone that, that you can rely on, uh, that you can ask questions of. Um, I think the one big thing with self-awareness, and I think we see it a lot right now on social media, uh, technology calls out phonies real fast. Whereas before, um, you can look at politics or whatever you might need to right now. You go back 10 years, you could say whatever you wanted to say. You could make statements. You can have opinions. You can change those opinions overnight. You can change a stance uh, very quickly. And it would be very difficult to, to be called out on that. The difference is now with social media, everything's in real time and everything's discoverable. So whatever opinions you might have, whatever self-awareness you think you might have, whatever direction you're trying to go in, uh, the more that you climb the ranks in higher education, the more you climb the ranks in student development, uh, student athlete development, um, the, the opportunity to not be phony and be transparent is readily available now and it wasn't 10 years ago. Uh, and it's affecting a lot of people who aren't self-aware who change their opinion, whether they're talking to a coach or a student or a parent uh, or a faculty member. You know, it, it's just a different age now uh, where you really have to have a better handle on yourself uh, than maybe you had to in the past. Uh, the last two areas uh, that I want to touch upon uh, are the two that I feel are the most important. Um, and, and that's defining work-life balance uh, for myself uh, and then how I define work-life balance for our staff uh, in the Student Athlete Academic Center and undergraduate education. Um, so let's start with defining work-life balance for me. Um, I don't have work-life balance and I don't want it. And one of the things that are, you know, 
a lot of people put work-life balance on a scale that they say you have to balance these two things out that uh, your professional career is one aspect of your life and your personal life is a different aspect. Um, and you have to find a way to make these two things equal uh, to where one doesn't overtake the other. Um, I never really could define it for myself on why I saw it differently. Uh, and a much smarter man than I did summed it up really well for me and I've kind of stolen it and moved forward with it. Uh, a guy named Jeff Bezos, who obviously is the founder of uh, Amazon, um, the way he describes work-life balance is that it's a constant flow. Uh, that your personal life should blend into your work life, your work life should blend into your uh, personal life, um, that you should love doing both of the things equally, that you shouldn't love one more than the other or shouldn't appreciate or have your time dictated by one more than the other, that you should find passion in your life to where what you're doing both at home and in your career are the same things. They're your passions. And so I could never put it as, as well and as eloquently as he did. And so it's a lot easier for me to just steal what he said and provide it to you. Um, but it's, it's the reason why my kids were here and wanted to see what you guys were up to because they're really interested in what I do because we talk about what I do. Uh, it's the same reason why I left work early today uh, so that I could go and pick up my daughter from gymnastics. As uh, unapologetic as I am about getting up at 5 every morning to go to work, I'm as unapologetic at leaving at 4.15 uh, to go to one of my daughter's recitals uh, or to try and take off early one day a week so that I can help make dinner uh, or do something uh, to where I'm not stuck in the um, It goes back to that idea of self-awareness and what you see yourself doing and how you feel that you're going to be the most successful. Uh, but for me, defining work-life balance is pretty simple. Uh, I found something that I'm extremely passionate about uh, and how I feel I can mend both uh, my personal life into my professional life, and it's really led to some great outcomes. Um, but that doesn't mean that I treat my staff the same way, uh, and the expectation is vastly different um, for my staff than it is for me because I've set goals for myself. I have certain ambitions that I want to meet uh, both in my personal life and my professional life, and so I have to make sure that my work ethic matches that output. So for my staff, uh, we have a vastly different way uh, of defining work-life balance. Uh, and so one of the things that we started with is just asking them, what are their boundaries? What are their goals? What are their ambitions? Uh, what do they see themselves doing and how can I help them get there? Uh, unfortunately, one of the things that is very important and something that needs to be addressed is that burnout in higher education is an extremely real thing. Uh, that you'll see people that are working 12, 14, 16 hours a day and turning around and trying doing it again. Uh, you see a lot of people, especially in higher education, pursuing a degree while in higher education, uh, whether that is a master's degree or a doctoral degree or some kind of secondary degree. Uh, so not only are they working you know, eight, nine hours a day, they're also going to class six hours a day. Uh, and then you got people like uh, Dr. McCauley who found their own programs and not only teach uh, and work they also flying around the country uh, speaking to certain organizations and being benefactors for most of the student athletes across the country. Uh, so burnout is an extremely real thing. Uh, one of the things that we created here uh, at FIU about four years ago uh, was a program called SAC Cares. So for us, the, the SAC is a student athlete academic center. And we just came up with a, a catchy name, SAC Cares, on how we can help our staff uh, find work-life balance. Um, one of the things that we helped identify for them uh, and one of the things that we take a lot of pride in, we don't have your typical modern office. 
And what I mean by that is our hours are not 8.30 to 11 with an hour lunch break to noon. And then you come back in from noon to 5 and you shut everything down and you go home. And that's a realization for us that our students are on a different schedule than we are. If we're going to be effective, we have to be available when they're available. So that might mean early mornings. Uh, that might be you know, afternoons or evenings. And so one of the things that we helped define for our staff was breaking this mold of what the modern office means uh, and that it really doesn't exist anymore. Uh, so there's the ability to communicate with your students, with your staff, with your peers, uh, right from your cell phone, through email or texting or whatever is your mode of communication without being chained to your desk. So we really pushed with them the first year on getting them out of the office and into uh, the collegiate setting, whether that's going to practices, uh, traveling with teams, uh, being available on campus. Um, uh, but relationships are extremely important to us. So why don't we grab some coffee and just get out of the office? Uh, the second thing that we created was an idea of flex scheduling. So for our staff, uh, they get to set their own schedules. And that is solely dependent on their interaction with their students. Uh, but for teams like our track program, our track program practices in the morning. Uh, our track coordinator loves to be out of practice so that they, she can visit with them in their environment. Uh, she'll come in early in the morning, but then she'll leave by 3 o'clock. So our flex scheduling program allows for our staff to have the ability to be in the office, but also be able to recoup their time uh, that they're out of the office. The third thing that we created was this idea of unlimited vacation time and unlimited professional development. So for our staff, we have no blackout dates. We have no time designated as you cannot leave the office. Uh, staff's allowed to take as much vacation as they need to uh, because it's critically important, we feel, that we invest in our staff so that they invest back in our students because they do have energy. They can provide clarity and attention because they have the ability to get out of the office, regroup, and really refresh because of all the things that we ask them to do. Uh, with the unlimited vacation time, um, one of the things that we have worked out uh, as the sole uh, leader for our program or the, you know, the person who you know, makes the final decisions, if we have a staff member that runs out of vacation time, I give them an allotment of my vacation so that they can take an increased allotment. Uh, so they not only have access to their vacation time, they get access to mine as well. Uh, when we start looking at the ideas of self-awareness, uh, work-life balance, uh, helping staff really define you know, where they want to be and working on communication. Uh, the, the one area that I've heard a lot when I speak publicly, uh, when, I, when I speak to classes, um, when I speak at professional um, you know, sessions and at national conventions, the one question I, I kind of get all the time is two things. One, um, aren't you scared that if you allow them to take unlimited vacation that they're just never going to be in the office uh, that they're going to take a lot of time off, that they won't be accessible, that they'll just uh, they'll take advantage of the time uh, that you're giving them uh, with flex scheduling, with the unlimited vacation time, with the unlimited professional development that we offer. Are you ever worried that they're just going to take advantage of it? Uh, and, and the statement that I have is, if that's the kind of person we have in our shop, they're going to take advantage of us either way. So if we don't offer it to them, they're just going to sit in their office and do nothing anyway. So why not do our best to provide the best service and best invest in them uh, with the end goal of we're not looking for anything back. You know, we're not giving with the, the expectation of a result. Uh, it's not like we're giving someone coffee with the expectation of them doing us a favor. So just like with our staff, we don't provide the, 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 the small benefits that we do with the expectation that they're going to do something different. Uh, we provide it because we, A, feel they've earned it, and B, 
uh, it's extremely important to us and, and what I've learned throughout 18 years that we invest in our staff members. Uh, the second thing, and I'm sure everybody's heard this, and if you if you haven't, it's something that you hear a lot in, in higher education uh, in you know careers in, in general. Uh, what if we teach them? What if we give them professional development? What if we provide them the opportunity for continued professional growth? What if we continue to invest in our staff members and then they leave us because they've been given additional experiences, because they've been given the opportunity to run their own teams and, uh, and manage budgets and supervise staff members? What if we invest all this in them and then they decide, I want to find a better job? And now we've given them the platform to be able to get that next job. So what if we teach them all these things and then they leave? Uh, and the, the very simple answer to that is, uh, what if we don't do any of those things and they stay? What kind of staff members are we building? What are we creating? Uh, what are the processes internally that we have in place? And is that somewhere that we want to work? Um, so overall, um, I think it's extremely important, uh, a couple of different things. One, self-awareness is something that I hope you do have. And if you have it at this point in your career, that's phenomenal. Uh, and maybe I need to visit with you so that I can further develop my self-awareness uh, because I, it's something I constantly work on. Um, two, really finding, and, and, it, and it's something that I know you guys hear all the time and, and just hearing it again for me probably doesn't do a lot to help. Find what it is that you're really passionate about that you can wake up every single day uh, over and over and over again and do the exact same thing in many different cases every day uh, for 18 years and still love getting up every day to go do it. Um, because once, once you get into that environment, once you are in a, in a competitive working environment, uh, if it's not something you're passionate about, if it's not something that drives you every day, uh, you'll find reasons why you'll hate it and why you won't want to do it. Um, but you know, as you guys go through this process, I know uh, Dr. McCauley has a lot of people that she's going to bring in and visit with you. Uh, you have my contact information. Um, when I talk about communication being essential, that's not just with my staff, with our students, with our people here at FIU. Uh, the first thing that I do when I, when I speak at a, an event or an organization is I provide my cell phone number. I have been extremely blessed uh, in 18 years to have a lot of great people who have stopped, who have uh, taking the time to help me. I've mentioned a couple on this uh, call today, Fred Green, Mark Mullaney, um, just people that have realized if they hadn't stopped and hadn't given me their time and attention. So if I can ever be of help to you, if I can ever answer any questions, um, if you look at my LinkedIn account and realize there's a connection between me and someone that you might need access to, uh, please don't hesitate at any point to call me, email me, text me, whatever it is, is your mode of communication. I will be more than happy to uh, to communicate with you about anything that I might be able to do to help you. Uh, but I did want to leave some time for uh, questions, so if there are any, I'd be happy to take them. What my favorite part of the job is? Um, uh, the, the easy answer is working with students, um, and uh, you know, especially from my background um, and, and not being prepared. Uh, for college and having someone who really took the time to help me and understanding what I went through and without his support, you know, being a first generation college student, being from a low income to working class family, uh, I had no idea what I was doing when I got to college and it was and it became very evident to me very quickly that our coaches uh, were concerned about one thing and one thing only and um, I could have easily gone down a path of, of getting into a very easy major that wasn't challenging or wouldn't set me up for the opportunities uh, for life after college. And it just, it was without Dr. Green, like 
just sitting down and explaining to me what majors are and major coursework and mapping and um, who knows where I'd be today. So the, the time that I get to spend with students is extremely beneficial to me. It's, I take a lot of pride in that. Unfortunately, the higher you work your way up into the administration, uh, into different roles, the further away you get from students uh, and working with students. Um, so obviously graduations are, are big events for me, like seeing our kids come through and be successful. Uh, but right now where I get the most joy out of my, my field um, is when we get our, uh, we do yearly evaluations for our students, uh, anonymous evaluations where they can really give us some pretty stern feedback on programming and what we've put in place and the resources we have available to us. So when I started at FIU five years ago, um, we had some challenges uh, that we had to face with our student athletes and, and how they felt about our programming. So to be able to see it now, you know, four and a half, five years later, where we get feedback with kids literally, you know, going out of their way to add comments, which we really get from students anymore, about how our programming has helped them not only be successful, but find something that they're passionate about. Uh, that's what I get a lot of joy in now. Uh, because when they brought me in to interview, it was 120 degrees in Jacksonville. So when we landed in uh, Denver and drove to Laramie, it was 72 degrees and nice and breezy with blue, beautiful blue skies. Uh, and I was there for three days as one of the biggest heat waves rolled through Florida. Uh, so that helped. Um, but what led to the decision? Uh, so we spent six years at the University of North Florida. Like I said, we created the program. Um, and then you know, I, I wanted to build it in the image that I felt was important to me, uh, being student-centered, providing service uh, to individual students, not to uh, the masses. And what I mean by that is, you know, m what I recall of being a student athlete when I showed up on college, on campus, basically our coaches said, okay, all the, you know, all the football players go into this room, all the freshmen, and you have 10 hours of study hall a week. You can't come out until you get 10 hours of study hall. And what I realized and why I struggled immediately off the bat was it didn't matter what we did. We just sat in a room for 10 hours and got study hall hours and, you know, we had to sign in and sign out. Uh, there was really extreme penalties if you didn't get your 10 hours, but there was no concern of what you did during those 10 hours. Um, and so this is back in, you know, 96, 97, where we were playing paper football on the desk for hours at a time. I couldn't imagine what I would be able to do with this laptop and a phone uh, to kill 10 hours. Um, and so as I got into the field, I just started noticing that, that it was the same idea, that we were just doing time-based study hall. Uh, it didn't matter if the kid was completely done with their work or if they still had work to do when it was over. All we were telling coaches and administrators was they got their time in because that's what we told parents. We're going to provide them with a time that they can come in and do their work, and we guarantee you they're going to get eight hours of studying in. Um, and what I realized was it was just a really easy way uh, of just providing a service that you didn't get much return on investment on. And so my program is very hands-on between our staff and our students. We take a lot of pride in forming relationships with them, uh, that we help them understand what their strengths are and, and what their, um, where their areas of growth they need to come in. But it was my fifth year uh, at UNF. We had found a lot of success academically. Um, our student athletes had posted the highest GPA in the history of their program. Uh, and I sat down with our athletic director and I kind of pitched him some ideas on where we were deficient as a support program. We didn't have any uh, life skills programming. Uh, we didn't have any learning specialists. We were transitioning into uh, our fourth full year in Division One. And if you looked around our, the Atlantic Sun, the, the conference we were in, we were extremely deficient on resources and support. 
and you know, to his credit, he was brutally honest and said, look, you know, you've got a 3.4 GPA. Uh, no student athletes are ineligible. I'm not spending any money on this programming whatsoever. Uh, no, like all the money we're getting from the, the NCAA this year, it's all going to certain sports and certain development. Uh, we're not going to put any money back into the academics. I need you to just keep chugging along and keep posting GPAs and graduating kids. Um, so his brutal honesty just gave me the opportunity to say I, I wanted to do more. And it was something that I never forgot. So when our AD kind of opened that door to this is going to be the same 10 years from now as it is today, we're not going to change in any way. We're not going to take any money away, but we're definitely not going to add any. Um, I really challenged myself that maybe my programming that I had created was only efficient uh, working with a small Division One school. Uh, so that's when Wyoming kind of surfaced and gave me the opportunity to take our programming to Division One in the Mountain West Conference. Uh, with football and with basketball and wrestling and, and some some different sports and basically what I thought was if I could be effective there with our program and change the mindset with that program uh, that we could do it anywhere because if you can if you can be successful in Laramie, Wyoming uh, you can be successful pretty much anywhere um, and so I am extremely fortunate that my wife had a lot of blind faith in what we were trying to accomplish uh, and it's and it's really worked out well for us. Um, I don't think it's just you. I think it's Dr. McCauley. I think it's myself. Uh, I think it's everyone in higher education. I think that this idea, like I mentioned earlier, that um, we were kind of taught uh, through our educational process that once you earn that secondary degree, you're done. Like uh, now go get a job and have that job for 20 years and 25 years and retire. Um, I think the, the idea of lifelong learning uh, is going to be something that we all uh, have to to understand is going to be extremely important to all of us. I think the one difference that you guys have uh, that we didn't have and what, you know, the next generation is going to have more than you have now is this unique ability to contact people uh, that we never had before. Um, I distinctly remember having to handwrite letters to organizations my junior year in college trying to find internships. Um, and, you know, you'd go through a phone book uh, to find contact information to try and send letters to people uh, trying to find internships. And now, uh, we have this incredible ability through social media and through LinkedIn and Portfolium and those other opportunities to where not only can you find people, you can connect with them. Uh, so I think that you have the unique ability to broaden your uh, base very quickly to be able to connect with people in a way that I would have never considered uh, 10 years ago. Um, the, the, the difference to that that I didn't have to face, that's an extreme, extremely difficult challenge for you. Uh, because what are there 15 of you in this class if you're all going for the same job all 15 of you have the opportunity to reach out to that person connect with them find a different way to get their attention that concept of stealing their attention and the person that can actually get attention will have the platform at the time to be able to discuss what's important to them you know, creative right now is one of the most independent variables that we have never thought of before uh, but I, I think the one thing that you're seeing a lot with student athletes right now because of the idea of social media and transparency and the movements that have been able to take place, uh, students now have a voice more than they've ever had in the past. Uh, and because of this presence through uh, the opportunity for podcasts and YouTube and social media channels and whatever comes next, their opinions not only have the opportunity to be heard, but get to be heard by mass audiences. Uh, so all 110,000 people that showed up at Ohio State this past weekend, they're pretty interested in what the quarterback's going to say on social media. And if he has an issue that he wants to bring up, all he has to do is send 60 seconds and post something about it. 
so the trends, in my opinion, are headed towards we're going to be more and more student friendly. Uh, you've seen it in the, the, the time legislation that's been passed for student athletes where they have additional time that has to be made available to them. Uh, you've seen it now that they've just passed a new transfer legislation uh, where student athletes have the ability now to uh, request the permission to speak at any university, which before had to be approved by the head coach and the athletic director. Now they can just do it. So I think you're going to start seeing more and more of these trends where they have to be more student friendly because they're worried about the backlash uh, that's happening because of all the money that's in the system. When you're making billions of dollars uh, on the backs of these students uh, and you can provide the resources that they can, uh, the more and more that you um, withhold from them, uh, I think the media gets a hold of, I think the social media gets a hold of, uh, that students now feel that they can speak about it openly without fear of repercussion. Uh, that you're going to start seeing these changes happen. So in the past two years, you've got now students getting cost of attendance, which means more money in their pocket. Uh, they have the, the new time legislation, the new transfer legislation, uh, and that's only the beginning. There's a ton of legislation out there still coming uh, to give students the ability to take terms off uh, so that they can travel abroad and not be penalized for it uh, to where they can leave the university for a semester uh, and go and pursue uh, internships and things like that and still have their athletic aid available when they come back. Um, so it's going to be more of a student-friendly environment, which is going to place a lot of emphasis and a lot of taxing uh, time on the people around those students to ensure that they're uh, having the support that they need to be successful. So um, f uh, four years ago, uh, I was challenged here at FIU because of the success we had with our student-athletes and how quickly we had success um, uh, to scale some of our programming to campus. And one of the, the big issues in higher education is how do you get students' attention? We have 60,000 students at FIU. We still rely solely on email. Uh, so I chaired a communication matrix committee um, for our university on how we can be more engaging with our students, how we can actually connect with them, not say we're connecting, but actually have a relationship with our students. Uh, and out of that came a lot of research uh, both you know, within Miami's a very unique culture, uh, but around the country. And, and it led to the different opportunities that we see in front of us, whether it's through social media and that active or interactive engagement uh, through things like the Twitter chat uh, that Dr. McCauley and I started. But it led to another idea, which is this passive uh, consumption of information. Uh, so if you look at it, the trend went, if you go back many, many years, print was the primary form of communication. And I mean like books and flyers and things like that. Uh, and somewhere along the way, they did the same. They created the radio. And as they created the radio, everybody laughed at them and said, oh, come on. Like, no one's going to sit around this tiny box and listen to people speak uh, because they were so invested in print media. So what happened is the same thing that happened when the TV was created. Uh, that everybody's attention went from print media to the radio, went from radio to TV. Well, TV has now become non-existent. I'm sure you do not watch TV, and if you do, you watch it on the way you want to consume it. So it goes back to communication and how you want to consume something. So if you're watching TV, unless, unless I'm crazy, you're probably watching Netflix or Hulu or on-demand TV because uh, your schedules don't adapt for you to be able to just watch live TV. And if you're watching live TV, it's most likely a sporting event. And when you are watching TV, one of the things that you've realized is with your cell phones, when commercials come on, the last thing that you do is watch the commercial. You go to your cell phone uh, or you have it on demand and you skip through it. The idea of passive providing passive communication and content 
is putting content out there so that people can access it when they want to consume it. So much like with this class right now, I have your attention because you're stuck in a classroom and you have to listen to me. But if you didn't, and I still wanted you to get this information, and more importantly, if for some reason I was able to help you down the road uh, because maybe you want to get into this field, or you go look at the podcast and you see some of the people that I've been able to connect with and some of the information that we've been able to share, the idea was born out of the simple concept of, um, again, I'm extremely fortunate. I know a lot of people in this field. They have a lot of great information. We're not telling anybody about it. I think one of the major issues in higher education, specifically student athlete support and development, is you have outstanding professionals all across this country that work in this field, and we don't tell anybody about it. Like we keep all of our information on our own campuses because we get so busy with our work and our heads down that we don't tell anybody all the great things that we do. Uh, and then when we're trying to, when in the hell are we going to get this information in front of them? And so the idea was the Twitter chat really took off. People wanted the information, but we couldn't always do a Twitter chat, but we can do a podcast. And so I just really quickly Googled it uh, and realized that you can start an anchor podcast for free with no real information or context. Uh, so I started the podcast a little while ago, uh, and the idea was to just put out as much content and information to people that were interested as possible. Uh, we do more things passively than we ever have, and voice is becoming that next generation. So what I was talking about, print to radio to TV to social um, it's my opinion, uh, with the research that I've done, that voice is the next thing. So whether it's Amazon Alexa or Apple Siri or Google's Assistant, I think five years from now, we're not even going to look at our phones anymore. We're just going to talk. Um, and the way that we're going to passively consume information sets up for things like podcasts, where we can put as much information out there as we want to. And all you got to do is ask Amazon or ask Alexa, uh, find me information about student athlete development, and hopefully our podcast will show up so that you can get some of the really good content that we put out there. Guys, my pleasure. Uh, again, you have all my contact information. I, I hope to, uh, to connect with you guys in the future, but if there's ever anything I can do, uh, like I said, whether it's to connect you with someone else or uh, just um, help you through an issue, please don't hesitate to reach out.